Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we're going to take a break. We're still going to continue looking at the grace of God because, frankly, <laughs> thankfully, I could just talk about the grace of God for the rest of my life, and it wouldn't even be close to really addressing the actual grace of God because right now we are very limited in our understanding of God. We live in this physical world, this fallen world. But the good thing is there is an assurance of the resurrection, which is what I want to look at today. That's the subtitle. We're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, I'm actually going to take this uh, kind of part by part. Today we're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And then we are going to continue on and look at the entire chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And um, I was just kind of moved by the Holy Spirit to address and talk about this because this past weekend I actually was baptized, um, not the first time in my life, but at this point in my life, you know, um, I've been through some real ups and downs, some real tough times. I've battled some different things, depression, different types of, um, you could say addiction, um, just, you know, just things that we all go through and, um, you know, nothing too serious when I say addiction. So thankfully got by the grace of God, I've never really delved into any real dark places like some people do these days, unfortunately, but Again, I, I would call anything that we kind of rely on and depend on and incorporate into our daily lives that isn't good and is sinful, that, that can be an addiction. And I don't mean necessarily with uh, drugs or alcohol per se, again, thank God. But in any case, um, I just felt, you know, my church announced that they were going to have a baptism and I just really felt moved to participate and get baptized. And, um, you know, I'm glad I did that because it, again, inspired me. Um, they sent out a, basically a, um, sheet explaining exactly what baptism is, giving the Christian fundamental background behind it, the biblical background behind it. And they encouraged us to actually read a portion of Second Corinthians, they encourage us to read basically from Second uh, Corinthians seventeen through twenty-one, chapter five. That is, I'll quickly read it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors, excuse me, ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So quickly again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. That's the passage I was encouraged to read. And of course, me being me, I read the entire um, chapter starting from 1 all the way through that passage. And, you know, I just felt... Um, 
that there's it's just so rich you know the word of god is alive it's the living word of god i believe jesus christ as well as the living is the living word of god the way those two kind of play into each other is a mystery to me but the way the father son and holy spirit come alive through his living word is undeniable and real truth and when you get into the word and truly start to take it in as your daily spiritual food you'd be amazed at the transformation your life can really take in your walk with God. I highly encourage, again, everybody. I, I Look, I get a little rough on the the, um, the Bible apps, if you will, the, the phone, the technology incorporation of the Bible. But I look, if you if that's what you have and that's what you read, that's great. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not legalistic at all in any way, in any shape, form, or fashion. Unfortunately, I've had my exposure to that, but like anything else, God uses it for his glory. He uses it as part of my small ministry here to be able to recognize that and never get into any legalistic or religious types of practices or schedules or anything like that. You know, there's a nice freedom in Christ, if you will, (laughs) not freedom to sin, but there's a freedom in allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us in different ways in life. You know, I woke up this morning and I almost felt like I had to read the Bible. because That's what I do in the morning. But I had other stuff I had to do. And God just said to me, look, go about your day, you know, and it's amazing how coincidentally um, this whole, you know, little episode fell into my heart and hands just by obeying the Lord. And I um, did end up getting into the word because the few tasks I had to do, I had some downtime while things were happening, if you will. And, you know, again, I got into the word and um, the, the spiritual food. My point is the spiritual food that this word of God, this living word of God is, is amazing. And my daughter, who's nine years old, and son, who's 12, they were asking me, you know, why I was fortunate enough to bring them and have them witness me being baptized. They were asking me why. They were asking me, you know, just different questions, which is always great. I love talking to my kids. They're so smart. They're so inquisitive. They're so, and not just mine, all kids, you know, they, kids want to know answers. They're, they're hungry for knowledge. And when you're a good example to them, you know, put it this way, kids' eyes and ears are open from day one as infants up to whatever age. Trust me, they are observing you and watching you. So parents, make sure you're um, setting a good example for your kids at all times because they pick up the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, um, but again, my daughter was just asking me and I had the opportunity to share how nutritious you know we take in food physical food to our physical bodies every day if we didn't have food you know um, we can survive for a while without food but when it comes to water for example and hydration I believe the human body I think um, you know you can survive for something like three days without water and then you're done kaput you're out so um, you know basically your sponge dries up if you will to give it a little visual there and you're done I mean it's just how God created us. If you look around, you know, um, there's an interesting, interesting dynamic that the revelation talks about when it reveals heaven, that, um, there's not going to be any oceans in heaven necessarily. Any seas, there'll be seas of glass, which is just incredible. I don't know what that even means, but the Bible says it and it's there. So 
also there there is though a living there's a river of life that we will partake of and drink of and it flows directly i believe from the throne of god i i have different visions different ideas and thoughts here and there as i've prayed with people in the past and one time i was praying with an old pastor friend of mine and um i had a vision of the river of life and it was joyous it was amazing it was incredible and we were you know the inhabitants of heaven were there partaking of that river just literally just picture you know like if you're you know on the earth as as people like to get on the you know the 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 edge of the river you like to have a dock you like to have you know you like to be close to the water <laughs> because it's good for survival again i believe it's in our nature to want to be close to water to survive and it's also in our it's a, it's built into our being to to want to be um around nature and its beauty and it's because it's god's creation and it's a um it's an amazing experience and again that vision i had was just very special and um again going back to what i was saying um i i'm trying to stay more focused with my thoughts here and my and my tangents at times but um thank god he's restored my mind and i can really kind of stay on track more so these days than i ever have but um it was great it was a, it was a real blessing to be able to share the baptism this week with my kids to be able to share exactly what it is basically you know you you profess that Jesus Christ is lord you profess that he's your savior and when you go and you are dunked into the water and you come up essentially your old person as a, as the passage said dies and you come up a new creation So it's it's just a physical symbol, you know. It's not necessary for salvation per se, but it's a good obedient thing cuz again just to reference why I believe that and why that's scripturally taught because when Jesus was on the cross with the thieves, you know, he one thief was a doubter up to the end, the other thief finally repented and Jesus said to him, "You will be in paradise with me today." Obviously that thief on the cross was not baptized yet he believed in his heart that Jesus Christ was who he said he was right there before he died you talk about a deathbed conversion and at i believe i look forward to actually meeting that thief on the cross i do i i look forward to that when i think about it cuz hey we're all that thief on the cross you hear me if you think you're any better than that person you need to repent and understand that we're all saved sinners by the glorious grace of god himself and i thank him for that the unmerited undeserved amazing free gift of grace and that's how god operates and flows so again i was baptized and this was just part of something that i read and i just felt moved to kind of just address it because as i read the entire chapter of course again i just love to dig into the word and god was just very uh revelatory if you will and um Without any further ado, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 8. Okay, and like I said, we are going to begin, we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 8, and then we'll look at some notes and we will go from there. So, Again my uh my spirit filled life new king james version bible subtitles this assurance of the resurrection for we know that if our earthly house this tent is destroyed 
We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So, let's take a look at the notes for that section. Starting with the note for, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, The present earthly body is like a fragile tent in contrast to the future body, which is called a building. Groan, a sigh of frustration with bodily limitations that simultaneously expresses hope. Clothed with a new body, Paul changes imagery from a building to clothing. Naked, a spirit or soul without a body. Ancient Greeks often spoke of the body as a tomb. Paul said it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Thus, he did not desire an escape from the body at death, but rather desired its renewal. This very thing, the renewed body for which we long, our present experience of renewed life by God's Spirit is a guarantee that He will perfect what He has begun. Absent from the Lord, Christ is with us spiritually, but His physical absence means we do not perceive Him as clearly or as fully as, the, as we will in the future. And then finishing up with the note here for, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, To be present with the Lord is better than our present condition, even if it means to be absent from the body between death and the day of our resurrection. This text conclusively disproves any notion that the believer experiences any lapse between death and his presence with Christ. So this passage, again, this gets very deep. Paul talks about the resurrection, and we'll look deeply. I feel like I've kind of addressed it in the past, but, you know, this season, you know, look, in just quick note. Uh, the first two seasons, I was going through a lot of, um, <clears throat> a lot of stressful times in my life, you could say. Um, I had recently broken off a relationship that was, um, well, just shouldn't have been in my life, I can say. And I, you know, I was going through a very sad and depressed time, frankly, when I go back and listen to those seasons. I, I, I love the fact that, you know, the Holy Spirit, I believe, used the, that time to really 
you do some teaching through me, but at the same time, I, I hear it in my voice. I, I sound heavy. I sound depressed. And it, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic, if you will, when you're going through something like that. But thankfully, you know, at this point in my life, it's um, God has revealed a lot to me about that. He's put a lot of peace in my heart about that. And he's truly, you know, brought me to different heights and places. So I can thankfully say that, you know, at this point, I feel a lot better and, and a lot more, um, you know, uh, I, I feel like I'm, my eyes are finally fixed on what, what's important in life. And, um, you know, again, that's the, the, the throne of Jesus Christ and serving him. And after that, as the Lord promises, all things will follow. And I have total faith in that. God, again, has always proven himself to be faithful and to be the rock of my life. And he's always lit the path that I've walked. And, um, you know, it's funny that in hindsight, I can say I took a lot of steps of faith, not knowing I was taking those steps, just basically kind of just, I always tell people I kind of blindly stumble through life and end up on the right side of things usually. But, you know, when I say that, I, I sort of say it a tongue in cheek in a sense, but I also, you know, I know that's been the, the goodness of the Lord um, leading me and guiding me through life. And I thank him for that. And um, I never take that for granted. I never take him for granted. And um, again, it's just something that I just wanted to quickly talk about. But uh, one thing that's noted here in verse eight, and we're going to talk, I'll elaborate a little bit more, but this is a fundamental truth and belief that we as Christians believe and hold on to. And that is um, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And like the note said here, um, what that means and what that's talking about essentially is that um, when we die as Christians, we are immediately with the Lord. We are immediately in, <clears throat> excuse me, in heaven. So um, the revelation reveals a lot more about, you know, kind of what's going on, the different saints that are in heaven, different parts of the church that are in heaven at different times. But you know, Jesus Christ says when he returns, he's going to return with his church. So one interesting note there is if Jesus is going to return with his church, that means his church has to be up there with him. So the whole idea of the rapture is something that's very real and something I believe in. And I do believe that we will be called up with the Lord before he does return. And what a glorious day that'll be. And I'm going to address that in a little segment I'm going to do here probably after this a quick little hit that um just a couple dreams I've had in during the course of my life that I believe God's given me that um you know that's a biblical thing that people have dreams God gives people dreams and you know there are things that I've always held on to and you know there's one dream in, in particular that um I had when I was very young that to this day is vivid as in you know when i close my i don't even have to close my eyes when i think about it the the image that is burned and seared into my mind and soul is just there and it's pretty incredible and it's related to the rapture so um stay tuned for that but let's go let's look again at five um second corinthians chapter five verse one where paul says for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
So let's take a closer look at exactly what that's saying. We're going to flip back. We're going to go to Mark, and we are going to be in chapter 14, and we're going to look at verse 58, because right here, it is sort of addressed. Um, let's just go again. Mark chapter 14, verse 58, where it says, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands. And within three days, I will build another made without hands. So this is when Jesus is standing before the kangaroo court of the Sanhedrin. You know, they, they violated so many rules. If you, if you know, if you're familiar with Jewish custom, you know, they had a trial at night, which is against the law and against custom. But, you know, they were in a rush to get rid of Jesus as quickly as they could because Jesus was flipping their whole religious bed view on its head and he was the messiah that to this day many jews are still waiting for but unfortunately they kind of missed that that savior that was here two thousand years ago so unfortunately you know there's um we have a lot of love for our Jewish um, brothers and sisters. I love the the state of Israel. I, I believe that it is going to be the center focal point of the end times. And not a coincidence that it's all over the news today. And it always has been throughout my life. But, I mean, today you're talking violence on the Temple Mount. You're talking about real clashes. You're talking about... Palestinian terrorists attacking and killing innocent Jewish people. And um, you're talking about a world that is quickly caving in on the Jewish state simply because they won't bow down to a lot of the, um, uh, well, they won't bow down to essentially what the New World Order wants them to bow down to, which would be um, just basically allowing the Palestinians to overtake their land, which, no. That's the that's the land given to them by God. That was the land given to them back in 1948. And that land has been beautifully populated, beautifully resurrected, if you will, from a dead area in the desert to a beautiful, thriving, um, very well, well oiled machine, if you will. And of course, you know, the world wants to come in and just take what, you know, God's people have put their hands to. But you know, we had um, a, a gentleman from Jews for Jesus who came and shared with my church recently about the um, significance of the Passover and how Jesus, um, you know, that was the last meal Jesus had. The last supper, as we speak about, was a Passover meal, you know, and it was a very um, interesting um, experience I had, very, uh, very revealing very educational and it was a great time and it really deepened my love again for the Jewish people and the state the Jewish state and um you know again it's it's all going to go down there and it's all starting you know uh, Ukraine's not that far from Israel and right now um Russia again committing absolutely abhorrent war crimes and just uh, the west is sitting by and watching it happen despicably and disgustingly as much as that is um you know it, it's really sickening when i when i see what's going on over there and i see our lack of total interest or leadership 
The fact that we're scared of Russia is an absolute joke. It's all about just that. Look, I don't even know what's going on behind the scenes. I, I stopped trying to figure that out a long time ago because it's not worth thinking about. I can dig into this word here. I can really just understand from a biblical perspective what is happening now and what's going to happen in the future. So, you know, again, it takes man a long time to catch up with the Bible, but as science is also doing, um, the world is now catching up with the Bible and focusing its attention on Israel. And that will be the eventual battle of all battles. They call it Armageddon. You can call it what you want, but it's going to be a horrible time, horrible time to be alive. And I feel the world is going to be, what is coming again, Jesus came the first time as the Lamb of God, but when he returns as the Lion of Judah and the judgment of God is poured out on this world and the wrath of God is poured out, unlike anything we've ever experienced or seen, the Great Flood was one thing, but it, it is nothing compared to what's going to come to this world when the supernatural and the physical world collide for a final time with the judgment of God and his wrath being poured out on this rebellious, evil, satanic world that is just growing and growing before our eyes day by day, year by year, decade by decade. And I don't believe we have century by centuries anymore left. So we'll see. But all right. In any case, let's flip up to John chapter two, where we're still looking at that first verse in Second Corinthians chapter five, um, again, John chapter two, we're going to look at verses 19 through 22, where again, we're talking about how Paul describes our bodies, our physical bodies now as tents. And then eventually we will be, we will, when we die and go to heaven, we will inhabit buildings. So it's just giving a visual of, again, if you picture a tent, obviously, you know, it has its purpose has its, um, you know, way of protecting us from the elements, if you will. But relatively speaking, compared to a building, it's a very weak um, structure compared to a solid building built on a solid foundation. Um, so uh, that's a good visual, again, Paul gives of our physical bodies here compared to the heavenly bodies that we are going to inhabit and be clothed with once we pass on and go to heaven for eternity. So let's look at again, John chapter two, verses 19 through 22, where it says, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, excuse me, that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So again, Jesus, you know, just prophesying of his own death, prophesying of the fact that he would die, and then he would resurrect in a heavenly form, and then a heavenly body, and eventually go up to heaven, transcend up to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the father, which he currently is, and allow him to be given the name above all names, seated in this throne of power, 
and giving the amazing Holy Spirit to all who believe in him and empowering us to live holy lives here on earth. It is nothing we can do. We can never live the life we're called to or be in the communion we're called to be in with God without his glorious grace and without the Holy Spirit dwelling within our temples. That's why he says that that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, keep that in mind. You know, you don't want to expose the Holy Spirit to wickedness, evil, and sin. So don't. And if you're struggling with things, simply humble yourself and ask the Lord to remove those things from your life. And he will. He has for many, many, many decades, centuries, and millennia, and he will for you now. Again, the law exposed sin and eventually confounded people to sin, but Jesus Christ came and set us free, and he restored that beautiful relationship and communion that we can have directly with the Father through our belief in Jesus Christ, his Son. So, It's an amazing, amazing plan God had and an amazing plan God executed for us and in in love with us. So, or for us, I should say. So let's flip up now. We're going to look in Romans addressing, again, uh, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to address chapter um, verse 2 that ties into Romans chapter 8, verse 23 to 30 where it says, Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what is what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints, according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Amen. So much in that that passage there is a beautiful thing. And we're going to look now at actually the notes for this section because it's so rich and so full of life that it just deserves its 
focus. So let's see here. So in verse 23, where we're called the first fruits, the note here says, again, in my spirit-filled life, New King James Version Bible, just as the first fruits of a harvest are a pledge of the full crop to come, the Holy Spirit is the pledge of our full adoption as God's children when our bodies are redeemed. The metaphor also suggests that the Holy Spirit is the foretaste of the life to come. We groan because although our souls are saved, our bodies are still subject to pain and sin. However, we look forward with hope to our resurrection bodies, which will be free from physical frailty and indwelling sin. Quickly, just to stop there, um, you know, we are called to be holy, sanctified. We are called to be um, representatives and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ himself. But as the verse here says, and as the scripture says, and as the commentary says, we we are limited right now because of this body, the, the, the physical fallen body we live in that's subject to that sin nature. Although the Holy Spirit lives in us, we still struggle with sin. Anybody who says they don't is a liar. Anybody who thinks they don't sin is very self-deceived and deceiving. And it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. You may not do things that you did in a former life as an old creature, thank God, but we all have our moments. You know, we all have those times of anger. We all have those times of frustration, those times that we get caught up in things, those moments of stress, anxiety, because we're in a fallen world and Satan still attacks us, you know. That's why it's very important to put on the whole armor of God, pick up that shield of, I believe it's a shield of faith, and, you know, put up those, those put up that shield to absorb those fiery darts. But, you know, darts get through our defense sometimes. And, that's where we are always subject as we're on this earth to being sinful in one way or another. So, you know, don't ever deceive yourself or don't ever let anybody deceive you into thinking that you'll be free totally of sin in this world. Again, this is far from an excuse or past to go out and just live the old life or, or be a sinful part of the world, if you will, because we're again called out of the world. So we are not to be part of it we are not to partake in the world and its sick sinful satanic ways but we you know again we get caught up in situations and whatever it might be and it's just by the grace of god we are sanctified we we learn lessons you know as christians as being full of the holy spirit we learn lessons that's why it's important to have good perspective on why things happen you know um you, you may go through uh, certain things that are only very private between you and the Lord, but it's amazing how God, if you pray about it and have the right heart about it, he can use anything and teach us in so many ways and in so many things that we just, again, you don't really comprehend or understand how it works, but God, that's the mystery of the Lord and that's his goodness and that's his love and grace towards us, you know. Um, he wants us to live full and rich lives while we're here in the earth and once we go to heaven. So this is preparation for heaven. 
That's what the whole process of sanctification is. He's preparing us to be with him in heaven. So understand that. Understand that when we go through trials and tribulations, it's not ever that God wants us to be miserable or wants us to not be happy, but there's things that God has to work out of our lives and to purify us, you know? Again, we are like a fine gold. We are that's what the Bible compares us to, which we'll look at, you know. And what part of when you find gold, you you get the impure elements away from the away from the gold and separate them so that the gold can be pure. And that's exactly the process of sanctification and what God does on this earth with us. It's a very, look, it's a beautiful process. Again, we are, we are born into sin, but we are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and God begins his work in us. So that's why it's important to give every area of your life to the Lord and to really get into the word as much as possible because this living word you can never underestimate what god will show you and it's like it's like looking in a mirror in a sense and the holy spirit's in you and he's in us and he's in me and as i read this the holy spirit shows us things that we would never know or understand without that obedience to getting into the word and that exposure to the word. Again, that can be through different things. You can, you know, read physically. You can listen to sermons that are good fundamental teaching of, of, of the word, you know. Uh, you can, there's different things. You can get in, you can put on some praise music and get into a, 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 a time of praise. You know, it, it's amazing how God will work, you know. But, um, you know, it takes a little bit on our part to, um, uh invite that sanctification process and invite that understanding and perspective, that shift in perspective into our lives. So let's continue here with the note for, again, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, where it says, the Greek word translated helps is used in Luke ten forty, where Martha wants Mary to come and help her. The word does not indicate that the Holy Spirit prays instead of us, but that the Holy Spirit takes part with us and makes our weak prayers effective. Some interpret the groanings as those uttered by the Holy Spirit, since the text says that he uses these groanings to make intercession. Others see Paul referring to our groanings in prayer, since point one, verse 23 says that we ourselves groan, point two, such groanings, which seem to imply a degree of distress or anguish, are appropriate for creatures, but not for the Creator. And point three, this sentence explains the first sentence in verse 26, which says that the Spirit helps us, not that the Spirit replaces our prayers. The expression, which cannot be uttered, does not necessarily mean silent, but can rather mean not able to be put into words. In verse 20, excuse me, if, if verse 26 refers to groanings of the Holy Spirit, which we cannot hear, then the verse simply gives encouragement that the Holy Spirit prays for us and adds effective prayer when we do not pray effectively. But if, as seems more likely, 
the verse refers to our groanings in prayer, then it means that those sighs, groans, loud cries and tears, and other expressions of our hearts and spirits in prayer are taken by the Holy Spirit and made into effectual intercession before the throne of God. Quickly stop in there. I, you know, this, I've used this analogy before, but I love it. And it's a great one because I picture it sort of like, you know, um, a little child trying to shoot a basketball into a hoop and he just doesn't have the strength. He's focused. He knows his goal, but frankly, he just can't do it, you know, but the Holy Spirit is that father or that parent who comes and picks that child up and then the child can just throw the ball in the hoop easily. You know, it's a simple analogy and image, but if you really think about it, it's quite amazing. And what the Holy Spirit does in prayer and our groanings, you know, I personally, I, I speak in tongues, um, you know, privately in a prayer language, um, unless really compelled to speak it publicly, which I really don't believe that's appropriate in church necessarily, but that's a whole nother episode, which I'll do someday. But um, I, I do believe that that private prayer time and you know, speaking in tongues is an amazing thing. And you talk about groanings and things that can't be understood and uttered by us, along with the Holy Spirit working hand in hand. That makes a lot of sense to me when I read this verse, how it's sort of a, it's us uttering things and just groaning, if you will. And it's the Holy Spirit taking that and presenting it before the throne of God and having it make sense. And when I do pray in tongues, just a little tip here, I definitely have a conscious flow of thought of people, things, and other items that I'm praying for. So it's not just a mindless babbling, if you will, but there's definitely a conscious, again, thought, people in mind, situations, specific things in life in mind that I do pray for mentally as I make those utterings and groanings, if you will. So it's an interesting dynamic there. It's my take my two cents, but I do believe that that could be what's being referred to here. So let's pick up again with the note for um, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, where it continues in my Spirit-filled life, New King James Version Bible, and says, Paul is speaking in this verse about the prayer life of Christians generally, and is not specifically discussing the question of speaking in tongues. But there are similarities between speaking in tongues and the activity Paul describes here for speaking in tongues is often prayer or praise in syllables the speaker does not himself understand. And both kinds of speech are made effective by the Holy Spirit. And then finishing up here with the notes for verses 28, 29, and 30 for Romans chapter 8. Even in hardship and suffering, even in bitter disappointments, even when wrongly treated, Christians can know that God will work amidst such situations to fulfill his good purpose in his children. The situation may or may not be directly changed by God, but even if situations stay difficult, God guarantees ultimate good results, including maturation of character to those who are the called. Note, the certainties of this verse must be kept in union with the responsible participation into which we enter with the Holy Spirit described 
in verses 26 and 27. And then again, finishing up with the note here for Romans 8 verses 29 and 30. The conjunction for introduces the reason for the assurance of verse 28. Paul looks to eternity past and sees that God's purpose for his people has only been good. He foreknew and predestined believers to be like Christ. Then he looks to the recent past and sees that God called and justified his people. Finally, Paul looks to distant future and finds that God's plan is to glorify, that is, to give a resurrection body to all who have been justified. Glorified is used as a prophetic perfection, speaking of a future event as if we, it were already done because it is certain that God will do it. But if in eternity past, if in the recent past, and if in the distant future, all of God's purposes for his people have only been good, then Paul concludes that his purposes at the present time, even in hardship, must also be only be good for his people. Quickly, that is the type of perspective and shift that all we all need to have and understand. And we really need to keep that in perspective. Like I just gave an example a little while ago where I was going through a trouble, you know, stress, anxiety about a situation that really didn't deserve any one minute of my day or one, one thought. But of course, you know, it's my nature to when I thought about something, I got I just blew it up and I got anxious and stressed for several hours to a point of it was just really just silly. But point being that God quickened to me and, and just made me realize that, look, I've always taken care of you. Look at the past. Look at what I've done for you. Look at what I do for my people. And now we can put this on a bigger scale when we can look at the word of God. We can look at his promises. We have to understand that our best interest is always in mind when it comes to the Lord and what is going on in our life. Believe me when I say we may not understand it at the time. It may be a struggle and a real, real life, you know, dilemma and problem. But remember, uh, this is all temporary and God is eternal and as is our salvation. And, you know, that's our, the point what we're talking about here with the resurrection, with, with these buildings, with these glorified bodies that we will inhabit for eternity. That's why it's important when you really put it in that type of perspective, anything that we come across on this earth really seems small. It does. If you have the right perspective, you can understand that this too shall pass. And, you know, um, God, again, he's faithful. And remember this, God always finishes what he starts. And, you know, he, he is a glorious, glorious God. That's why we love him so much simply because he loved us first. And when you really understand that and, and really know who he is and understand that he loves us, that's it. He wants us to be his, his creation. He's our creator. So he created us for a purpose and that's to have fellowship with him and to totally rely on him and to, to totally accept and embrace the grace that he pours out into our lives 
I mean, what a plan, again, to send his son here to die for us, and then his son fills us with his Holy Spirit <laughs> as Christians, as believers. It, it, that's amazing. That's an amazing accomplishment spiritually of God, of course, because he's the creator of all. He's he's just magnificent. That word is is just perfect for him. He's magnificent, and he is glorious and amazing. So... Let's finish up with this note here um, where it says foreknew, not just that God knew that we would exist or knew some fact about us because it is persons whom God foreknew. It may be paraphrased those whom God thought of in a personal saving relationship, predestined, planned that they would ultimately be like Christ, conformed to the image of his son. These two verses outline a sequence of events and indicate that everyone who has begun the sequence will complete it. Quickly noting there, it's definitely no one is predestined. You know, that the, the, the idea that there's entire religious parts of the, I don't know, Christian church. I don't know what you would call them, the, the body, if you will, um, that base their, their whole theology on these two verses. Again, very erroneous. Anytime you're involved in a church or a group where they're just taking a couple verses out of the Bible and basing their entire belief system on that, I'd highly caution you to get away from them because there's a whole word of God, there's a whole fundamental belief, and there's a whole picture that God puts from Genesis through Revelation that must be taken into account. So if those people understood the full word of God and his nature, God would never sit there and just say, you're saved, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're saved, you're going to hell. That's not his nature. Again, he gives us a free will to, for all to choose. But what this is talking about is a type, if you will, a the person that responds to the gospel. This is what was predestined for them to walk in. So it's really simple when you look at it, really easy to understand. But again, just wanted to quickly note that because, again, there's whole um, portions of the body of Christ, I guess you can call them, that base their entire belief system on that. But very erroneous because if you believe you're predestined and then nothing can take you away, if you will, from the spirit of God, then I believe you you may not be serving the, the genuine God of, of creation. So, unfortunately, I've been involved in different churches that serve they served something, but I don't think that was exactly, um, you know, <laughs> a very Christian experience I had at certain places in legalistic terms, I guess you could say. And this is definitely legalistic if you think about it, because, you know, um, again, anything that's added to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the pure gospel of, hey, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you're who you say you were. Please forgive me. And then let him to come to live in your heart through the Holy Spirit. That's genuine salvation. That's the pure gospel. So, all right. We are going to pick up on part two of our look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, this is just looking at verses 1 through 8.